I look at my pay to play piece is if you're going to be in this thing and you're going to run and you're going to go out there and you're going to try to make business opportunities happen, you have to put money into your marketing. I don't know how many times I've talked to new agents, agents that have been in the game for a long while who don't allocate enough to their budget. If you want to play and you want to be out there, you want to be in this game, make money, you have to put money up front and you need to have a sizable marketing budget. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Autopilot Recruiting. Join over 1,200 State Farm agents in putting your recruiting on autopilot. Any successful insurance agent will tell you how important team is. Finding those rock star team members doesn't happen when left to chance. It happens through consistent recruiting. You never know when you're going to lose a team member. And the key to an incredible team is constantly searching for the best talent. Autopilot Recruiting is a continuous recruiting service where you'll be assigned a recruiter that has been trained to recruit on your behalf every business day. This recruiter will take over and revamp your career plug, send out assessments, do pre-screened phone interviews, and schedule your in-office interviews. All you need to do is to show up and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. This ongoing service is extremely affordable and a no-brainer for taking your insurance agency to the next level. Listeners of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, go to autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code CLUBCAPITAL to get started. Again, autopilotrecruiting.com and use the code CLUBCAPITAL to get started. So appreciate everybody joining us. We're going to do the best we can to be able to provide value. That's a huge core value of mine personally is to be able to provide value first. So we're going to do the best we can. I'm going to do the best I can. I know Hunter is going to over deliver. There's no doubt about that. But we really take seriously your time and especially your attention to what you're doing. And so we're going to keep this pretty jam-packed and hopefully have some things that you can walk away with to be able to implement. I was talking to a group of business owners two days ago and uh, then specifically one person yesterday. And we were just talking about, you get all this knowledge from webinars and podcasts and books and, and all that's great. But what really matters is what you implement. So ideas are everywhere, but implementation is everything. So I would just encourage all of you, if you hear something from Hunter today that you think is really could help you in your journey, as being a small business owner, to make the commitment to yourself to be able to implement right away. Do something, create a playbook, create something, reach out to somebody to be able to do that. So Hunter, why don't I throw it over to you? Kind of classic Club Capital podcast 101. We start with a kind of background and origin story, but why don't you just kind of give everybody a little bit of your background, your journey, kind of things that got you to where you are first? Yeah, I think it all started for me was I got fired from my job. That's what kind of led me to the, to the State Farm journey. I came out of college with a degree in poli-sci and biology, and I thought I was going to become a lawyer. And so I took a year off from school and went to taught in high school. I realized I loved teaching. And then the riff list came in 2008, and I lost my job. My dad actually sat on the school board and was one of the ones that had to let me and about 20 other folks go. So from there, I went to law school for that summer and realized law school was not my thing. Came back home, thought I could go back and do teaching in another school district. And a local State Farm agent who was retiring this year, Mark Shawnee, was also on the school board and introduced the idea of insurance. I thought, well, let's try it out. Let's give it a shot for a little while and, and see how it lands. And 
from there, it just took off. I uh, worked for him for over a year. And then I got into the agency intern program. If you remember the old AI program, did that and transitioned with them over down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And then the agency came available for Bruce Peniel in 2012. And it was a three-way split. And I went to the agency there and, and we've been going ever since. In 2020, I believe it was, we opened up our MOA in November 2020 in Milford, Delaware. And our legacy office is located in Georgetown, Delaware. Awesome. How do you think that your teaching background has helped you in your businesses? It's been a huge part of it. You learn how to connect with people on a different level. Hmm. So, you know, with education, a lot of young folks, you've got to figure out new and unique ways to meet them in the middle for them to understand what they need to do and where they need to go with things and what's going to be more important than other things in regards to the job and and the knowledge they need. So that's been huge for me. I do a lot of outside the box where we use videos quick shot videos for them as far as some kind of Saturday Night Live skit. And we'll introduce them and bring them into the idea of the conversation we're going to have that using those pieces because it ties them in, it pulls them in. We use that all the time when I was teaching high school. And and it seems to work really well for us over the years in in using that and finding a different way to connect. Each one's going to be different. We can't apply the same process to everybody. Yeah. I personally agree with that, that you can't coach in sports and big sports guy. I know you are that, you know, you just can't coach everybody exactly the same. Um, before I go further on that, cause I've got a few more questions around that. If you have a question, you're on the call, post in the chat. I'll be monitoring the chat. I know there's a Q and a feature, but it's just better to do it all in the chat. So post a chat a question if you got one and I'll make sure I ask it for Hunter. How do you differentiate teaching, training and coaching or do you? I don't. They're all the same for me. The way I look at it is you know, I'm either teaching you life skill of what to do and, and how to be a better person, or I'm training you on the state farm. At the end of the day, it's all going to fall into the same same vein for me. We're going to go that same path of how I go about the process because I'm going to find another way to connect with you on that level. A lot of storytelling is what we use to get that point across with both training and personally teaching my staff. And that's the way I've always gone about it for me. I don't separate the two from that. You mentioned around videos, what's a best practice when it comes to the meshing of a playbook and SOP, people call them different things. I would refer to it as a playbook, but a playbook and pulling that together with videos. What's a real practical thing that you do that you think has really helped you both meshing written word down onto a word document as well as video? So the first thing I think of is comedy. I think comedy really connects well with my staff and on what we do. It loosens them up. It gets them interested in it. It shows you oftentimes what not to do and how you have in your mind of how you're going to pitch this product or pitch this conversation to a customer, how it actually comes out and sounds sometimes. And you realize, hey, I don't want to do what Will Ferrell did on that skit that we saw or that comedy piece or that piece we pulled from Ted Lasso. That didn't land well. So I probably don't want to take that back and use that myself. And that's really kind of opened up the door for us of like, wow, that didn't work. Well, Think about it this way then, guys. This is what I'm trying to teach you now. Now you get it. Now the light bulb comes yeah. on. Now you understand. And we take and leverage it from there for us. So I found with my entire staff that comedy has always been our easiest route to go to get the point across and, and to open the door to teaching. Awesome. All right, let's pivot over a little bit from some soft skill stuff over to a little bit of hard skill stuff for a little bit. All these calls we've talked about sending over bullet points. And one of the things you sent over to me, I thought was really interesting. I'm anxious to kind of dive into a little bit is pay to play. And you said allocation and evaluation of hard versus soft marking. So first of all, define pay to play for me. Number one, number two, talk to us about what do you define as hard versus soft marketing? Great question. So I look at 
my pay to play piece is if you're going to be in this thing and you're going to run and you're going to go out there and you're going to try to make business opportunities happen, you have to put money into your marketing. I don't know how many times I've talked to new agents, agents that have been in the game for a long while who don't allocate enough to their budget. If you want to play and you want to be out there, you want to be in this game and make money, you have to put money up front. And you need to have a sizable marketing budget, in my opinion. We work off about 9 to 10% every year of our budget goes directly to marketing. And we allocate out to do that. This idea of shortchanging myself and coming up with a gimmick that I don't have to put that much out there to it, grand scheme of things, it's really not going to work for you. If you want to get to a, a certain size, we are a fast-growing office. We churn and burn. We put a lot into that marketing. So I've always had this mentality with, I have a marketing team in my office. You got to pay to play. So we're going to put our money out there and put it into these events. We're going to put it into our leads and we're going to go about that process. When I first came into agency, with regards to marketing the hard and soft idea, I had a great sales leader. I've had wonderful sales leaders my entire career. Land Martin was my first sales leader. Now he's a senior VP for Virginia, or I'm sorry, a VP for Virginia. And he introduced me the idea of hard and soft marketing. Your hard marketing is these things where you're going to get the, your, a gear, a return on your investment. You're going to see what the number is for you. That's internet leads. That's the click-to-call ratios that you're following up on. That's your direct connects or the companies that your data lots who are, are sending live transfers back to you. That's my idea of hard marketing. You're seeing that return on your investment. You have the numbers to see there. And I think in your early years of agency, in my humble opinion, you need to devote a lot of your monies to hard marketing. That's where it needs to be. But you have to realize, and I think actually Isaac talked about this with you a couple of weeks ago when you had him on too. As you transition and change, you're going to have to evolve as an office. It's not all going to sit there for you. So my first five years, we did literally probably nothing but internet leads. I mean, that was our goal. We were trying to create an opportunity for the staff to create activity, to grow our office out with a lot of hits and a lot of misses. In doing that process, we honed our skill. Transition to where we are now. I do literally no, very little with no internet leads whatsoever. And that has transitioned over to a soft marketing approach for us. It's more now about branding. It's more now about getting out there and letting people know who we are, what we're doing, how we're going about that process, hitting the community events, putting our name out on billboards, mass sprawl. You used a great example of Supreme in your presentation. You talked about, and it connects back to me, it's the same exact approach now. That's where we've transitioned ourselves over to. We're trying to drive a lot in .com leads for us, statefarm.com leads, which unfortunately in the state of Delaware now has been turned off with everything going on. We know one day that will change, but we spend a lot on that. Google reviews, putting Google reviews out there, the traveling, I call it the internet billboard now, and putting a lot towards that to create this brand that there was someone you could trust, someone that you can look to, to go to, that was going to take care of all your financial service and insurance needs and be there for you long-term on that. And that has where that transition has happened for us. But we're constantly monitoring that because I do feel I'm in a market position right now with the changes that we're going through that I'm going to have to divert back from more of that branding and soft marketing back to hard marketing because I need to, again, create activity for my staff. Because mm. with the changes on the underwriting, we need to create back, go back to more activity. I need to get a lot more at bats. It's not going to happen naturally as it has been for the last five years for us. I and then constantly realizing that and leveraging that and watching our data that we're bringing in through the sales funnel and through Racing Snail, some of the different platforms we use. And we sit down once a month and review where the marketing's coming from. What is our big hitters? Who are our COIs that are sending us the most business? What do we need to do to keep those relationships? And do we need to direct those things back and where we're going to shift our monies around? 
you may have actually shifted the way that I talk about this to hard versus off marking. I try to use language very intentionally. If people go back, I think in the Chris Jones one and maybe even in the Isaac one that we talked about this, I would refer to, we're talking about the exact same thing. We just use a little bit different language. Hard is direct response. I would call it direct response. It's basically, like you said, you get a number, you can measure the number of leads that you get, how much cost per lead, et cetera. And then soft is the all the branding things. You're buying the ball team and you're spending $250 to put your name on the outfield fence or something like that. I really yeah. do like hard versus soft marketing than have the definitions of that. I think that's great. All right. I got a few questions that I want to dive in to dial this in. A couple of things you said. Your total marketing spend, you're in a high growth area. So you're at nine to 10% of top line revenue, which makes a lot of sense. I'm going to give a specific example outside of insurance in just a second on that. What do you believe is the percentage of where you are now? You just said you're going to maybe make a switch, but where would you say the percentage is of that between hard versus soft marketing for you of the nine to 10%? Does that make sense? Absolutely. 80, 20, 80% is in soft marketing right now, 20% in hard marketing. Wow. So okay, our so, conversion yeah. ratio, our conversion ratio right now is sitting at 40 to 45, 44% conversion ratio on raw new auto right now. Of that that we bring in a year, 70, 73% of that just comes from referral. I speak back to soft marketing as being that piece of us. I believe it has to be hard. It has to move from a hard marketing position to a soft marketing position, especially in those early years, because it's going to be a drip effect. And you slowly, almost like a balanced mutual fund where you rebalance it every year, you slowly need to transition, in my opinion, back over to soft marketing as you get bigger, because then it becomes more of a brand. You've accumulated some of this base there, but now it's the referral piece that's rolling it back in. And you just keep getting in front of people. How many times is it? Nine or 10 times before something starts to think about you? I don't know the exact statistic, but I want to tailor some of my questions. If you don't mind, if you're on the call, will you post in the chat what year in business you are in? I'm curious. Do we generally have zero to five, five to 10, 10 to 15? If you'll post in the chat for me, that'd be, give me a really kind of an idea to tailor this next question and some of these other ones in the future. That'd be great. Okay. So while people do that, Hunter, what did you think that you did in the first two to three years? What was that percentage early on? Was it literally 80, 20 the other way? Correct. Absolutely was. Our budget was all internet leads and driving business back that way. I mean, trying to grow this thing out that way. That's okay. That was what we did. And let's remember 10 years ago, that was kind of the adage, right? That was the way when we started this thing, that's how you're going to grow the book. And I am seeing some younger agents that are going that branding piece more nowadays with Facebook and social media. I think there's a great tools to leverage for that, but you have to have that back to the staff. You got to create yeah. it up front. And that's the only way they're going to learn in my opinion. Yeah, just looking at some of the numbers, obviously we're, and this is not representative of everybody, but zero to five and then maybe 10 plus or so. And so that hopefully gives everybody a little bit of an idea of kind of where you are and to look at and measure some of the numbers that you have. So I'm in a mastermind group and the owner of the mastermind, he works part-time as COO for somebody that if I said his name, I'm just trying to keep, because I'm going to share some numbers here, confidential for who it is, but all of you would probably recognize the name. And they spend 135000 a month on Facebook ads, 135000 a month. And you hear that and you think, oh my goodness, what in the world? Well, it's 6.5% of top line revenue and they spend between nine and 10% of top line revenue in marketing as a whole. 
So to your point, so they do about 25 million in top line revenue. That's one of the things I really like about using percentages, Hunter, is because whether it's 25 million or 2 million or 400,000, there's a level of being able to kind of see somewhat of a comparison. You can't compare the numbers. I mean, it's like Facebook ads, 135,000. I mean, my goodness, I'm spending $2,000. That's a lot. Yeah, but as a percentage of revenue, there still are some standards out there that I think are helpful. Thoughts on that? I couldn't agree anymore because you do. As a younger agent, you hear some of these, these older folks out there saying, well, I dropped this amount of money this year. You can't think like that. I agree with you completely. The percentage makes it an even playing field, allows you to see that. I know what I've used, frankly, in plug there in Club Capital, I watch those benchmarks for that mm-hmm. inside the system on a monthly basis when I get my reports. I want to see that we're doing that. And if I, frankly, if I see we're under, a lot of people might look like, well, we had a great month. We didn't spend that much. I'm looking at it as, well, we came up short. Where can we inject more money back into this thing to get back out there and do it? Yeah, that's good. That actually leads me into a question I wanted to ask you. And this is not just around your financials. This is in general. You clearly know your numbers. Do you think that you naturally have a bend towards knowing that? Okay. Some people do. Or do you believe that over time you developed the skill set of understanding the importance of knowing your numbers? Because I mean, just a minute ago, you were spitting out some numbers on there that maybe some people don't know those numbers for themselves. I think it developed over time. I can't say this is a natural thing for me. I don't come from a background in doing that type of work. Both my parents are state employees. No one was an entrepreneur in our family really till, till I jumped into this thing. So I had to develop it at a time. But I always go back to my early years. We were very lean on what we took home. I didn't take very much home. So I really had to pay attention to where my money was going and how I was allocating that money properly. And I think through custom and doing that repetition and going through that process and doing what I like to call a napkin math, it allowed me to really dig into this thing over time and say, okay, here's what I need to do. And then when I transitioned over to having great bookkeeping to be able to really itemize this thing out, it really helped open it up for me more to know where I'm going and, and what I wanted to do with that. So I think that takes repetition to get there, but it can be done. So what is napkin math and what are the numbers that you would put on napkin math? Hey, you sent that to me. That was definitely something I was wanting to dive into. All right. So you got me on hard and soft marketing. That's really good. So what is napkin math? Yeah. So napkin math is literally another idea that I took from Lam Martin. He was my sales leader on that stuff. And let's realize, guys, it's a lot to bite off when you're looking at your budget and what you've got, where you're allocating things. But we use napkin math for us. We use it on the regular basis. And it's the high, the, your big numbers. So number one for me is payroll. Going through and seeing, okay, what is my payroll that I've got? What's my payroll, payroll including taxes, benefits, all that. Having that big fat number right there. Number two for us is our marketing. What's our total marketing, hard and soft marketing? What's the total amount we put this year towards it? Number three is, okay, what's our building? What's our rent? What's our utilities? That's all tied in together in one group. Number four is miscellaneous. So supplies, employee relations, all that type of thing. We dig all that in there. And then number five for us, some people choose to put in there. I do because I like to know, what am I paying quarterly taxes? So I use quarterly taxes through the accountant. I know I'm going to pay state and fed. And I add that in there. And then I say, okay, what am I looking at using our state farm systems? What am I looking at? What am I spending a year? Or where am I at on my paycheck every two weeks or every month? And then I take them, subtract that away from my napkin math here. And I've got an idea. Where's my profits at? We are constantly watching our napkin math to say, okay, this is what we're doing. Without having to dig into any systems, I have those numbers always in the back of my head as we add a team member on for 
30, 40, $50,000. We roll that into our employee payroll. We add a percentage on there, what we think it is. And that's now added into that number of what I'm looking at on a regular basis. It has helped me to narrow down the state. Okay, here's your guardrails, Hunter. This is where you know where you're spending it. You have a good idea on it. Do you feel like this number is getting imploded of what you're spending? Are you staying within your 10% that we talked about earlier for the marketing? And it's over time helped guide me on a higher level, an easier level to maneuver through this whole thing of business. Have you ever thought, wouldn't it be incredible if you had direct access to our expert podcast guest in real time and be able to ask a question specific to your business? Well, now you have the opportunity to do that. After three and a half years, we're finally launching a leadership podcast community, and we want you to be a part of it. We're launching this podcast community on June the 1st. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast, and you'll get all the details. You'll be able to interact with every single one of the podcasts that we record in real time and ask us questions and be able to ask the guests questions. In addition to that, we're going to have a monthly exclusive Q&A just for our leadership podcast listeners. Go to club dot capital forward slash podcast. That's club dot capital forward slash podcast and be one of the very first to join. I can't wait to see you in our leadership podcast community. There's a question that I wish that I had been able to formulate 10 years ago. And that was this balance of at the time it was reinvestment in the business. Revenue begins to go up profit goes up, I immediately took it and you reinvest back into team. Okay. I don't think that there's going to be anybody that would say that that was some bad idea. However, I had no framework for when to then be able to take some chips off the table myself through some personal income. So what ends up happening is revenue goes up, the personal income of the business owner and the founder stays flat. And they look up and they say, well, I was at 300,000. Now I'm at 750000 in revenue and my personal income may not have changed, okay? And these are some of the things that maybe people don't talk about. So how do you approach it now, year over year, versus the balance between, I'm going to make the reinvestment in my business. I'm happy to use the example around staff and in wages, et cetera, but it also could be in some other things too. It could be a bigger building. It could be in more marketing, et cetera. How do you balance that? How do you begin to approach that in your business? Yeah. So I've always had an approach, at least for me personally, that I set an amount that I want to take home for the year. So if I say, when I say in a flat salary, I'm going to ask for just like many others. Mm-hmm. And I know I can have these draws at the end, but I set a number and say, I'm going to take home this specific number for the year. Anything that's left in the account goes, goes going to sit in the account. It's going to go back to business. I'm a firm believer in having money set aside in your account. I always have to have at least a bigger number for me, 200000 set aside in the business account that always has to be there no matter what, whatever the situation is. So we just went through a very large building purchase and we had to allocate a quite a bit of money out to that. We lost our office to Emmett Domain from the highway system that came to town. With that being said, if I hadn't been taking these monies and setting aside to the account and not taking draws out in the year on that, I live very modestly in our approach to things that I would have been set up in a situation that it would not have been good for us. I don't know what we were done. We've probably been in a shopping center mall or something like that. There's very little commercial left in this town for us. Our business has grown over 33% year over year for what we've done in the last 10 years. It's drastically grown, but I've had to have this belief in my mind. The way I look at things is 
I set aside the checking account. We'll allocate it and add to the staff as we need. But I'm not taking the larger amounts home compared to other people. I set that benchmark right at the beginning of the year that if I'm going to take him 150000 that's what it's going to be. And next year, maybe a little bit larger and add on to it. But that's really limited ourselves. And that kind of keeps the guardrails on me to, to say that. Now, you take a step back and you look at it later on and say, wow. But we haven't been in a position so far to say that this person is doing, we're spending this much on this one versus what I'm taking in. We haven't quite found ourselves to be in that situation yet. So I haven't crossed that bridge at this point. Mm, yeah. I've heard, don't send me nasty messages when I say this person's name. Okay. But he does have some decent business stuff. Dave Ramsey, I've heard him talk about three to six months of expenses, right? In savings. And then there's a great book written by Greg Crabtree, who ironically is in Huntsville, Alabama, but it's called Simple Numbers. And the word that I got from him from that book is called Core Capital Target, Core Capital Target. And so that's kind of your core capital target. What's the number, not a number, maybe a percentage, right? The three to six months of expenses that you feel like is just if you were talking to a new business owner, what do you think that number is for you? So three to six months of expenses would be yeah. for us? Yeah. Obviously, you said 200000 but I mean, what do you think is a good multiple on monthly expenses to be able to sit on? I mean, three to six months would be good for most people. I think it's a solid number for us. I just like that. I have multiple accounts set up. So I have a savings account set up for us as far as that goes. And we have a different bucket set up for our business account. So we always try to keep, frankly, roughly about three to six months savings set aside just our business account and our savings account otherwise. Yeah. Well, I mean, if COVID a few years ago taught us anything, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of unknowns in the marketplace. And so sitting on dry powder, more dry powder cash is absolutely a strong discipline to have. Certainly a lot of small businesses were able to get bailed out with different PPP loans and all of those type of things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's always going to be the case, right? And so being able to have that ability, eminent domain, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that one for future education purposes myself, because those type of things happen and you've got to be able to have the cash without having to go and get get a loan or something like that. Let me ask you another question. Send me a thing where you said, know when to trade time for money. I'd love to know what do you mean by that specifically and what you do? Yeah, we're lucky enough in the position that we're in with this type of opportunity we have with State Farm that the money is going to be there. It's going to grow for us. And we're going to have more and more potentially it's, things are going well coming in over time. What we don't have is the time, the time to be with our kids, the time to take opportunities to go out with them and experience Little League and coach and, and do all that. So I've started in the last couple of years of taking the approach that I'm going to trade in. I'm going to pay more for people. I'm going to hire more team for management and taking on those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to do that to gain that time back because I can't buy more time. You can't do it. And this is the only way I see it for me to do that. In essence, if I were to say to buy it is to hire more people and to put those people into management positions and allocate out what I'm doing to other folks and allows me to get that back to beat home with them. Because this working to the burn the midnight oil thing, it just doesn't cut it after a while. And I've always been a grinder. In my early years, that's all you did. I mean, you pretty much put a cot in the office and you live there. But where I'm at now and the ability to be able to transition over, it's something I'm constantly looking at. How much more can I take off my desk? Am I willing to give that up and pay somebody to do that with an assistant or so on and so forth and give me that time back? I do want to ask you a few questions around that because I think it's pretty interesting. 
I think there's two sides of the same coin with that. There is this idea of what are the things over time that you have delegated off of you? What are examples where you have created a system, an SOP, a playbook, and then been able to transfer to someone else? Okay, that's number one. So give some thoughts around that. And then in a minute, I want to come back to the other side of that and say, okay, then where have you reinvested the time that you now have? Okay, again, teaching, spending time with your family, your kids, your hobbies, et cetera, but in the business stuff, okay? So some of the questions that you get from time to time are, okay, well, I kind of get that I need to probably outsource somebody else doing payroll. I can have an EA to run my payroll. Okay, well, what are you going to do? Where should you be spending your time? So I think it would be interesting for you to answer kind of both sides of that same coin to say, all right, what are some of the specific things that you've been able to offload off of you? Number one, number two, then where have you reinvested the time when you're actually working in or on the business? One of the big things we've done is our whole HR process. Everything inside the HR process, the monthly reviews, the quarterly reviews, the day-to-day operations, vacation time, we have healthcare, all that. And you talked about payroll. We do have a payroll company, but you actually have to process the same payroll. All that's been taken off my plate now, given over to my operational manager. She handles everything like that. She handles the write-ups. She handles setting up for the reviews and does all those and then brings them over to me for a look over afterwards. She holds the staff accountable. That was a big chunk of time that was eaten away at me doing our 401k matches and contributions every two weeks, all that. What it allowed me to do is open up more time to get back into one, training. I do like to talk about the educational piece. I get the opportunity to step into some of these trainings and be a part of a special financial service training with the staff on an individual basis. Number two for me, COIs. My centers of influence allows me to get back out. We have a marketing group that does go out and does this for us on staff. But when I have the opportunity to get out and do it, especially create new opportunities and meet with new folks that we can have better relationships with to drive business back, it pays tenfold over when I'm the one doing that versus others. And I enjoy that. I really do. I don't know a lot of people do like doing payroll and, and you, you know, you, you know, Hunter, what you'd be really good at, you should go into politics. I'm just saying you should be a politician. <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah. 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 If those that. of you don't, right. don't know, maybe Hunter can let you in. Maybe he's already doing that a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. I can touch on that now, whatever you think, man, but I've been trading time for that. And I do, I sit on a number of boards. So I sit on electric co-op board for the state of Delaware, Delaware electric co-op board. And I was elected to that position been on there for three years and it gives me the opportunity to give back to the community. It gives me the opportunity to be step out and do some branding for us in essence, for our office and for our growth and work with others in our community to and get an understanding of how other businesses work. It has a close tie, especially co-ops to the way the mutual state farm works. And it, it's been a good experience. So you gave us two, giving me a couple more. Where else do, have you filled back your time in the business training specifically, no surprise, you talked about at the very beginning, your background of teaching. So that doesn't surprise me at all. That's obviously a unique ability. And then number two, I would call it a KPI. You're the key person of influence in your community and meeting with those CUIs. So that, that makes sense. What are a couple other ones? Education. Education is the key one. How many times you get your opportunity to go back in and hone your own craft and sharpen your own knives and your skills? As the business owner, a lot of times people don't think about it. They think you have it all right off the bat. It gives me a chance to do that now, having more time available to me. And then I transition that back to staff. I think that's one I always talk about. As far as additional pieces for that, a lot of it for us has been the last year and a half is this building. 
So this massive building we put in, the renovation we went through, I had to be a part of that. I had to be involved in that because at the end of the day, that was my money going into it. And that took a lot of my time. And thank goodness, allocating and realigning people to take over doing what they're doing because I was down here doing that, experiencing that. I just want to double tap on the education piece. I call it learn. In my own job description, it's number one. It's number one. I think the most important thing for me to do is to learn and to grow so that I can try to give more to other people, which fits in with my one of the core values of growth to contribution. So for all of you that are listening to this as a podcast or on here today, I think Hunter is absolutely right. Whatever you call it, learn, growth, education, that is incredibly important. That time that you spend at the coffee shop, reading that business book, listening to the podcast, taking notes is not time wasted at all. It is helping you to be able to go further faster. So I think it's really great. All right, we're going to wrap up here in just a couple minutes. We've been going at it a little over 30 minutes. If you've got a question for Hunter that you want me to ask that I did not get to, please post in the chat. Hunter, as we wrap up, what are a couple other things that you've been able to offload from your plate to spend more time doing these other ones? You mentioned HR function. What are some other items? Kind of ties a little bit back to these KPIs. You talked about marketing, well, reallocating and bringing in. We brought in an internship program down to our office. We have people that oversee the internship program. And that has allowed me to take some of that marketing social media piece associated with it, overseeing the SEO work that's being done, working with our vendors to make sure they're held accountable and that we're meeting our goals that we have set for ourselves. We have three marketers in our office that are doing all that for us. And they're also overseeing that internship program. I love the internship program. And I think a lot of agents like to do it. They just don't have a time. So we have set that up. I was a part of that originally setting that up. And now I get to have a chance when our marketing team is meeting and running those interns to step in and be a, and experience that. It helps me with recruiting to find more additional team members to bring onto our office. It helps me with the whole idea of community support and giving back and bringing these folks, these young folks in. A lot of them are high school students and experiencing that, getting and setting myself up with the school districts and working with the schools in the towns that we have our offices in. And that has been, been a very big help for me, reallocating that, but also still being involved in at the same time, because you have to have the people in place to be able to handle all that one. That's so true. Yeah, that's good. All right. Last two questions. And it may be the same answer. And if it is the same answer, that's great. I asked earlier to get an idea. Let's say that you're speaking to a large group of business owners. They're in their first three years. Okay. What is the thing that you have learned over your time that you wish that you knew then when you were in your first three years? First question. Okay. Second question, what are the things then if you went into a different room and you were talking to business owners that have been doing that at, say, 10 years plus? I know we gave the examples around marketing specifically, but maybe there's a broader answer there. And if it's the same thing that you would share, that's great. But what would you tell those two groups as kind of a transfer of the things that you've learned the most through hard knocks, et cetera, to those two different groups? Yeah, I think one is an idea of communication with the staff. And I think in your early years, you have your head down and you're grinding through things and going through the process. You don't get enough time to sit down and have that individual one-on-one coaching with those staff members and having that communication with them. My mistake in the early years was I said, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that but I didn't show them how we were going to get to that place and what it took for us to do that. We have since changed that. And the communication now is transparency across the board. Why we're getting to this goal, what's the return for the team member, how we're going to accomplish that and what that's going to look like for them. And that's been a big piece of it for me is the communication. I think that same applies to my older agents who have 10 years plus. 
because we fall out of that piece. Mm. We use a routine and a set goal that we have in place. It starts to fall by the wayside. And we added layer it in with a new team member. This one transitions out and no one comes in. And we've lost that communication that maybe we established in that year two to three. Bringing that back up, that's one base of it. Directly mm. for me, as far as with the team two and hiring the right staff and keeping the right staff on is benefits. I'm a firm believer in benefits and offering benefits to your staff. And when we got to the place in my early, my third year in, we went to healthcare. We offered healthcare. It was a tough one to swallow to take that burden on and start to do that pay. But it has showed returns for me tenfold in the amount of quality of people that I've hired, offering the 401k, offering KT, PTO, salary team members, and additional group bonuses and stuff that we build into our plans for them. That has helped me out a lot. And I firmly believe for both young and old agents, if you're not offering benefits, go back in and look at that because that's what's going to separate you from the competition. That's what's going to allow you to, to really bring the talent in and that talent that'll stick with you long term. I think that came up either in Isaac's or Chris's as well. I can't honestly remember what that was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Glad you reiterated that. All right. I'm going to ask Hunter just one or two more questions. But if you're with us live in the group, if you would do this, this would be huge. Post in the chat, and I see a couple of questions in there, and I'll get around to those in just a second. But post in the chat, what have you learned? What have you loved? And what are you going to do? Okay, a little bit of accountability for this. This is what I do in my group that I work. We always wrap up with what you love, what you learn, what are you going to do? Remember, it's like, what you love, learn, great. Okay, what are you going to do? What's one thing that you can take away and implement in your business? And obviously, that would be a way for Hunter to be able to kind of say, hey, this has been impactful. So, Hunter, we appreciate your time that you give. Travis asked a question. Have you built in group bonuses around scorecards, quarterly bonuses? How have those incentives worked? Great question, Travis. Yeah, let's talk about that. So we do. We have a scorecard bonus for the end of the year. I pay it March of the following year. And I set it up based on the points. So our minimum goal every year is chairman circle. So it used to be, of course, 330 points, but now it's up to 360 points. And what we do is we build into our staff is they have to write 50 financial services per year. They have to hit a minimum of $15,000 in annualized life premium and $5,000 in annualized health premium to unlock that bonus. And as the points go up, the percentage that they'll get goes up. So for instance, last year, our sales folks each got $14,000 in bonus. It was paid out to them in March and they're incentivized. They buy in them as a scorecard. They need a scorecard probably than, than a lot of other folks that are out there. They know it inside and out. They understand what the goals need to be based on that, that they need to, how much health insurance they need to write in the first six months because it doubles down for the year. They realize that we run everything like a six-month office. So our goal is to write as much as we can in the first six months and churn it and get it on the books and get it into our system. And then we'll see how the next six months is paying out for the following year for us because the carryover that we're getting on that. But we built this whole bonus into there based on that piece. And it, we, they think of Christmas as March 15th as well as we do every year. So that's been a big help for me from the agency standpoint to do that and offer that. And we've had that since the very beginning. I actually learned that idea from a great agent, Billy Reese. And we applied that same approach back to our office and, and it's seeing returns for us. And it's really good by when you're a sales team member who doesn't hit it, you don't get a piece of that bonus. And that holds accountability for them in place because they do see what other one else is getting and they want to be a part of that bonus. Yeah, that's good. All right. Remember, post in the chat. Would you love, would you learn? What are you going to do? Would you love, would you learn? What are you going to do? Andrew asked a similar question. Been open 18 months. 
how do you quantify employee ROI and build a comp plan based around that? I think it's a great question when you begin to look at just compensation and taxes, and then you add in health insurance, and then you add in, oh, I'm investing a lot in marketing. There's a cash flow issue that happens right around that. So what advice would you give to Andrew? So I use Racing Snail's ROI or internal calculation piece inside of the Racing Snail um, platform. We have the capability using that, and it helps make that work a lot easier for me. My turnaround time and what I want to see out of my staff is a minimum of 30 applications a month in just PNC business, coupled with at least five on the first three months, financial services per month, and then that goes up to seven by the second three months. If I can get that and I can get that continuous production out of them for 18 months, they'll actually less than that. It's actually 16 months for us. If I can get that out of them for 16 months, now I'm going to start to see a positive ROI on this thing for that team member. We always start everyone out at, at 36 to start and we bring them in in our sales position. But a lot of times for my sales folks, they all have transitioned from service. It's kind of a stepping stone for us. We don't put you in that position until we know that you're pretty sound and you know what you're getting ready to get into. And that's how we have done it for us. Awesome. Yes. Also, do you factor in premium targets? Yeah. Outside of not just apps. Targets. Yeah. That just actually factor in premium targets. We set our premium targets out. And one thing I want to talk about in regards to premium targets real quick, just a little quick transition. And I know we're talking about scorecard. So many times agents think about this from a travel standpoint. You've got to stop doing that. you got to start thinking of scorecard. Travel credits are not going to carry over to the scorecard for you. You have to focus on the benchmarks. Because mm. when you focus on the benchmarks for the scorecard, that's when the money starts to kick in. And that's when you see the return on your investment. Unfortunately, I see a lot of times these agents say, well, I travel level one, but my scorecard is this. It doesn't reflect what am I doing wrong. They're so focused on using those travel credits and those travel benchmarks to what they apply to scorecard. The scorecard is a whole different animal. I could talk for hours on that piece sometime, but there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. And the sooner you can start realizing focusing on those specific benchmarks at 35000 minimum, that's when you're going to start to see and setting your goals for your staff to that. That's when you start to see that those scorecards start to compound and be a lot larger. All right. Well, we'll have you back on. We'll do a deep dive in that. Okay. Let's well, we'll do. We'll just we'll do a yeah. whole deep dive on that. Hunter, it's been awesome having you on. You've been great today. For all of you that joined us live, thank you. I hope that we served you. I hope that we over-delivered in our time together. Hunter, hopefully you can do it again in the future. Appreciate you, man. Thank you.